0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm your host, Will Brinson. This is CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. If you're listening right now, it's Thursday, April 11th, which means it's the Masters. Uh, Masters may not have started just yet, but they're going to start soon, depending on when you're listening on Thursday. And if you want to get... coverage of the Masters. Direct streaming access on your phone. What you need to do is head on over to cbssports.com slash Masters First Cut or download the CBS Sports app. We have everything you could possibly need to watch when it comes to the Masters. Four different streams, including the two feature groups, Amen Corner, coverage hole coverage of holes fifteen and sixteen. And the best part, it's one hundred percent free. You fire it up. Jim Nance is gonna layer that velvet on your ears. You're gonna hear the birds chirping. You're gonna feel the Azaleas blooming. It's gonna be incredible. And uh don't make sure to check out our buddy Kyle Porter, friend of the program on CBS Sports HQ. It's our free twenty four hour twenty four hour sports news network. He will be reporting live from Augusta National all week long. CBSports.com slash masters first cut. I, I don't know. If Brady Brady Quinn is joining me today because uh Brady is the best and Brady is is coming comes on the show once a week. Are you, are you and, a, and I'm also I'm also an avid golfer. That's so what you that's brought us. me
1: on to yeah. Yeah. you brought me on to give you a quick hot take on, on, on the masters. And, and so here's what I've got for you. Okay. If you want to look this up, go ahead. Tiger's not finishing within the top 10. If you're looking for someone um, that, that I think is uh, my favorite who I think is going to win, give me Cooch. I think the am is going to win. Wow. Right, that, that's what I'm kind of putting my money on. I know, um, you know, you can go with some of the other guys or Fowler or, you know, Kepka, whoever you want, but, you know, Kepka, he lost a bunch of weight for that ESPN body issue. I saw and, that. Uh, I just, I, I, don't know if he's going to be playing the same man. So, uh, I, I like the cooch. I, I think it would be great to, uh, to see him come out with a win at the Masters. Uh, but that's my pick, and uh, that's how I see it working
0: out. Okay, we're not gonna make this a Masters podcast, but it is Masters Thursday, so we're gonna take a minute here and discuss. If you don't like it, don't tweet me, don't leave a bad review, just fast forward, hit the fast forward 15 second button. Um, so the thing with Coocher, the thing that, the two things that bother me, one, uh, maybe sort of an a-hole with the whole tipping thing, with the, the caddy, uh, and two, I don't know that I love how he performs on Sunday under the gun. Feels like sometimes he'll sort of clinch up a little bit, and uh, and I don't know how he will handle the pressure of leading the Masters, but I I think he will. He's been unbelievable around the green and in terms of stroke gain, strokes gained and, and greens and regulation um, all year long. So I I like where your head's at in terms of how he'll play.
1: Can I just say something in regards to tipping? I mean, look, I work the crappy jobs. All right, I, I, I'll say it. I work the <laughs> jobs. Uh, I worked at a place called the bogian as a busboy. I ran food service. Uh, for for embassy suites running up to for room service have all sorts of stories from that uh, I, I worked the crappy jobs and you know what I realized is no matter how much I made in tips or what I made for my hourly wage that's not what I want to do for the rest of my life and you know in, in regards to caddies and all that one they're they're basically there because they're facilitating the guy that's that, that that's keeping them there they the player that they're working for so I could care less about, you know, people getting on guys about not tipping it up or this or that. Cause I always feel like in the first place, it's a courtesy. And if you're upset about the tips you're getting, get a different career. Okay. Cause usually most like, a is a different, different case, but most jobs, most jobs, they, they shouldn't be necessarily reliant on tips for the rest of your life. Okay. Those are jobs where you're kind of young and transitioning or maybe just in transition in general. So uh, I hate to get on soapbox and go into that spiel, but, that doesn't bother me about Cooch or Tiger Woods or whoever else as much as I think it did maybe bother some other people
0: okay that's 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 all right and, and look in fairness to Coocher they had a predetermined agreement and Coocher paid him based on that agreement and then you know thank that, you yeah I mean yeah he honored his now I, I I personally think he could have gone a little bit above and beyond what they agreed to because he won for the first time in a long time but uh, we don't we don't need to rehash all of that Have you been to the Masters before? I'm not. And actually I'm more the type of person that I would rather go play golf
1: at a local muni course (laughs) than just go to walk around at the masters. Look, I love a great lawn as much as anyone else, (laughs) but if I'm not there participating, uh, I would probably just be there getting blacked out drunk. And and so it wouldn't matter where I'm at. You know, I I could, I could be in a desert for all that matters uh, or or in Augusta. So that's usually my take with it. I was always like that as a kid. I always want to be outside playing uh you know wasn't necessarily one to be like oh i'd rather go sit in the stands and watch the game. i want to be out there playing so i still feel like that to this day
0: um i i've been i've been twice um not a, a, as as my own as a spectator not as a part of a cbs uh thing although i may may see if i don't know if any of my bosses are listening uh let me know if i can work it into my deal where i get to go as a spectator or even work i even cover the masters uh, as part of my next contract um but it it's pretty awesome man i mean you feel like it's I mean, it's it's you don't feel crowded. You you do feel like it's a time portal. I, I would actually liken it in, in a little bit of a way um, to to going to Notre Dame because you feel like you're for the first time. You you know, not for you, you. It's it's old hat for you. But I mean, the first time I got in, in, in on the Notre Dame campus, it's like wow, this is like a time portal, and it's very bizarre. Uh, I know Kyle Porter wrote about this. On CBSSports.com, but there's sort of an appreciation that you can't take your phone still because a lot of the PGA Tour events are let you do it now, and so you you do sort of soak in the whole experience. The beer is cheap, the pimento cheese is cheap; it's fantastic. Uh, egg salad, you're, you, know, you're, you know, they got these delicious macadamia cookies and peach ice cream. The whole the whole thing is is pretty cool, but I mean, it's a lot of walking. But I, I would I would go back in a heartbeat if if I could. I will take um, I'm going to take to win. Uh, I will say that uh, – is Justin Rose too obvious? Is that too obvious?
1: No, it's not obvious. I think it's a good call. I mean, it, I would say maybe one of the
0: favorites. But, yeah, no, I, it's, I, I like that pick. It's a good call. Uh, off the radar guy in the vein of Matt Kuchar. And, look, I respect you going Kuchar. I will go uh, Tony Finau. Who uh I think like Ooh Yeah I like Tony. Yeah. Remember he broke his uh ankle or sprained his ankle celebrating a hole in one during the par three tournament last year, and everybody's like, This clown's yeah. an idiot and then he, he still finished uh top five. So I think he's got the experience there, understands the grind, could make a leap. I, I'm with you on Kepka. I don't I don't like his I don't like the losing weight thing. And then the other thing I saw, I got an alert from the PGA tour, I think. Uh, just, just worth noting is people, people maybe last second filling out their their uh, their various pools and whatnot. I think Jordan Spieth is changing up his putting grip. It's a guy who's a little no. lost. you don't do that before the Masters, man.
1: No, you don't do that before the Masters.
0: I mean, literally, look—you don't change anything before the Masters. You don't change your—you don't change okay? your—you don't change your putting grip before the member member. Like, you just don't do it.
1: Yeah, you know, you—you don't change your, your your underwear. You don't change anything before the Masters. <laughs> if, if you feel like you've got things going the right direction, or even if it's not, maybe still you play out of your mind. But you're not—you shouldn't be working on things and thinking you're going to make the cut. That scares me. Uh, a couple other picks outside of Cooch, who I think is going to win. Uh, rooting for Ricky Fowler, met him his fiance Allison Stokey. Wow, um, really, really Oh, because nice uh, people. Cause of and the... then, uh, Just, Justin Thomas. And so, so yeah. those two guys outside of Cooch, uh who I'm kind of rooting for.
0: Wow. So, did you did you hang out with Ricky Fowler?
1: Um, well, we were kind of sitting in a part. We went to a hockey game, and we were sitting mm-hmm. in, a, in like a certain little lounge section, mm. and then VIP, v- we were... v-
0: VIP, no doubt. Uh, you could call it that. I, I would. I. My
1: buddy and I and another couple of ours, uh, we had drank a decent amount. So, um, <laughs> it was like they kind of came over in our area and they were probably more watching us and, and laughing at us than anything else, but we, we talked for a little bit. Um, Justin Thomas was a really cool dude too. I I really appreciated him. So wow. Um, yes. Those guys are great guys rooting for them. Um uh, but yeah, we, we kind of hung out for a minute with them. I don't remember a whole lot from it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was just more of. But my my brother in law was playing, so I was more paying attention to the hockey game and, and having some beers. So. Wait,
0: wait, wait! Your brother in law is a hockey player?
1: Yeah, my brother in law is Jack Johnson for the Pittsburgh Penguins.
0: What? I thought you're I, I thought you're like who's how is is that your wife's brother? Is that how what, what, how's this working here? How many athletes? Yeah, no,
1: that's my little my little sister's uh, husband.
0: Wait, so your old is it your older sister's husband who is? Uh, is, uh, uh, AJ Hawk. Right? Am I crazy here? What am I thinking? Who's your, in one of your, in one of your brother in laws, a, uh, a football player? Yeah, AJ Hawk. Yeah. Oh. All right. So you have multiple professional athlete in laws? Uh, yes, correct. That's pretty crazy. That's, that's cool. Um, all right. Good for you. Well, uh, man, that's cool that you're at a, uh, that you're at a, yeah, I mean, my, my brother in law is a, uh, funeral director. So I got that going for me. Up. Oh, you know what?
1: I, by the way, I would love to be in that business. So if he's ever looking at selling, please let me know because people are always dying, buddy.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. He's uh, every every holiday. I'm like, hey, Let's uh, go to my father in law. Like, hey, hi, like, how's it going? Business killing it as usual. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, wow, will, is, yeah, great, it's booming. I,
1: I'd be I'd be dying to get involved in that business. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: his response is usually like, uh, yeah, it's it's probably better than the blogging business, will. What's going on? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Alex, Alex a great dude. Uh, anyway, let's get into some football talk. Wow, that went longer than I thought. Ten minutes in, and we're masters talk. But you know what? It's Masters Thursday. I don't care, Brady. It's a little. It's a slow time in the NFL. There's been some drama. We don't want to. We don't want to rehash the whole Steelers thing, the whole Packers thing, uh, or even the whole Kyler Murray thing. But I do think something that Cliff Kingsbury said this week was very interesting, and that was that. He was asked specifically, "Can Josh Rosen work in his offense?" And I think it's kind of a dumb thing to. I mean, it's not a dumb question to ask. It's a legitimate question to ask, and I'm actually just going to ask you the question. Um, but of course, he can. Like, you don't have to be a fast, mobile quarterback to work in the air raid. So, how exactly, Brady, would Josh Rosen fit with Cliff Kingsbury system? And do you think it's a good fit?
1: I think it's a good fit. I think people fail to realize what was Cliff Kingsbury. He was a dropback quarterback, yeah. so and he played within the system. So was Graham Harrell. So was pretty much every single, actually every single other quarterback that's played there in the AID system, or even Gardner Minshew, who was up in Washington State this past year and, and led the uh, led college football in, in yards. Um, I mean, look at who we even had this past season too. Um, you know, was it uh, M- M- McLean? I think was the young man's last name, the lefty. I got hurt. Then Alan Bowman came in as a freshman. He was a pocket passer. I mean, the entire offense has been based upon pocket passes. In fact. You could look at who's played in the air raid system and make the case that Josh Rosen's actually the better fit than Kyler Murray is. I just think people look at the air raid now and they think, oh, spread, because you see a lot of spread formations. And you think about Kyler Murray playing within that system and his ability to run uh, with a field that's spread out and in some of those open running lanes, even in the passing game, and then you see why you know people think it would make sense. So both quarterbacks can play and excel within the system. Uh, I don't personally feel like, um, you know, they'd be handicapped with Josh Rosen. And, and I, I, you know, to be quite honest with you, I think Josh Rosen's probably a little bit safer within the offense than Murray is, only because he's got NFL experience so far. And and looking at the history of NFL quarterbacks, uh, they tend to be more guys who have a skill set of Josh Rosen than guys who have the skill set of Kyler Murray.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And the other thing that I think that really goes under the radar here is that, while Cliff Kingsbury and Josh Rosen have not been, um, you know, necessarily working hand in hand, I mean, Josh Rosen has a huge leg up in terms of being in, like, like, he can at least, I mean, can he, can, can't he, he can at least study the tendencies of an air raid offense right now. I doubt Kyler Murray is worrying about that because he's worried about his, you know, his draft status. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's at least, You know, you have a little bit of a head start, and you you aren't making as a second year quarterback a leap into the NFL from college. You have you have taken that step. You've been bloodied and battered along the way. You've learned a lot of lessons. I mean, I know you know you, you know this as a former NFL quarterback. It's not that first. You know, there is, a, there is a transition stage, and I think that as much as we've seen guys like uh, Baker Mayfield adjust quickly or, um, you know, Andrew Luck or whoever it is, I mean, it's not guaranteed that Kyler Murray's going to have instant success. And to me, the Cardinals will be running a big risk by going with a guy who has no prior experience in the NFL.
1: Right. I mean, that's always the risk you run any time you, you draft a, a first-round quarterback or any, you know, rookie quarterback for that matter. But I think the thing that you have to understand is Kyler Murray also has experience in the system. Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, had played and really, you know, coached kind of derived from that from his time at Texas tech. And he runs a version of that from what he had at Eastern Carolina and then what he brought to Oklahoma uh, where now he is the head coach, but you know, there's definitely similarities between the system. He's obviously implemented more quarterback run game because of the skill set of Cal Murray. Um, at least this past year, you saw that a lot more. Um, and, and going back to Kyler Murray's days running a spread system in, in high school and when Cliff Kingsbury was recruiting him back then, um, I think there's going to be similarities. So uh, I don't necessarily think you could say that, oh, this is going to be all foreign to Kyler Murray. Yes, he has other things on his plate, but I also think he's going to be very familiar with that system if they were indeed, you know, take him in number one overall.
0: Mm. Yeah. <sighs> um... I, don't, I just keep going back and forth. Where, where's your head at on this right now? Where do you think? What do you think is going to happen uh, with that? With that first overall pick? I mean, and, and look, you might. I mean, you might not know, but I'm just curious where you think the wind is blowing. Uh, as it, I know, Pete Prisco thinks like Jason Lockeford thinks they're definitely going Kyler Murray. Pete Prisco thinks they're sort of backing off Kyler Murray at number one. I, I don't think anybody knows for sure, and maybe the Cardinals don't even know for sure. Yeah, so I, I don't think they know for sure right now.
1: Because we still have two weeks until the draft, right? Somewhere around that time. And what could happen between now and then, someone gives you a one and something else for Josh Rosen. And you might say, okay, we're good. Hmm. Because you've got the potential to draft Kyler Murray, who you also think could fit. Or someone might say to you, you know what? We really want Kyler Murray. Or maybe we want one of these quarterbacks, and we want to ensure that we get him. So we're going to move up and, and draft him number one overall. And someone might give you something for that, which now takes out your ability to take Kyler Murray, Right. Yeah. Um, and so those two things could easily play themselves out. Deadlines do deals. We're not to that deadline of the first round of the draft yet. So uh, until we get to that point, until there's uh, we get closer to that date, I, I don't think that they probably even have their mind made up of what they're going to do because um, there might be an offer on the table right now for Josh Rosen. And they might say, you know what, we know what we're going to do with the number one overall pick, and you know we're waiting to see if we can get somebody who's going to sweeten the offer. Uh, and until we get closer to that date – uh, we're not going to exercise it because one thing we do know this, you don't have as much leverage if you're the Cardinals. If you draft Caller Murray number one overall, because <laughs> everyone knows then you have to trade Josh Rosen, sure. uh, unless you want to go into this first season with both and either a hope you get a starting quarterback hurt and someone wants to trade for Josh Rosen uh, when they're in despair before the season, a la uh, the Minnesota Vikings trading for Sam Bradford when he was with the Eagles yep. um, or Or they hold on to him for a year, and then after this upcoming season, they look to try to make a trade for him then. Which, you know, really, again, doesn't make a ton of sense because that next year's draft class is supposedly supposed to be better with the likes of Justin Herbert out of Oregon, Tua Tagovailoa, who would be draft eligible, as well as Jake Fromm uh, from Alabama and Georgia, respectively.
0: Um, And by the way, here is uh, Cliff Kingsbury's actual quote uh, via ESPN.com on uh, Josh Rosen. He is a much, much better player than I was. I was pretty athletic back in my day, Kingsbury said. I was a pocket passer. Josh can move. He can extend plays more than people think. He has a great tennis background, very athletic. And you don't have to be a four three guy. You just have to be able to move off the spot, keep your eyes downfield, and extend the play enough for those guys to uncover. And when you watch the tape, he does a good job of that. So, I mean, I do think, like, when you hear, like, they're clearly still evaluating all this, right? I mean, like, they're they're not – I don't know. It's just, it, it's it's wild that it's this fluid leading up to the draft. But anyway, uh, we don't want to linger too long on that because we will have an entire two weeks of draft speculation leading up to that before the draft actually happens. So instead, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll break down some more stuff that's happening around the NFL. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Patriots did nothing during free agency. People freaked out. They didn't sign anybody. They don't have any weapons. Ah, what are they going to do? And now they've gone out. They, John, you know, Rob Gronkowski left. Um, they have, uh, gone out today and, and landed, uh, Austin Al- 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 Safari and Jenkins. And there's a report that they're also looking at, um, Demarius Thomas and TJ Yeldon. It's, uh, pretty wild how the Patriots sit back and, and then do smart stuff once in the season. You know what I mean? Like, like they sit back, everybody freaks out that they're not doing the right thing. Don't you think that's the better way to handle free agency in the NFL? Um, sure.
1: I, I think, look, here's the bottom line. When Bill Belichick has tried to draft wide receivers, which he hasn't taken many, like, I can't even think of one in the first round, but even looking at, like, Dobson, for example, I think is the highest he's taken in a while yeah. in the second round. Um, I mean, look, he, he, I think over the course of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, I think he's actually drafted more quarterbacks in higher rounds than he has wide receivers. You know, Nick Dobson's the only one I can think of in the second round. And outside of that, you've seen a lot of like fourth and fifth and sixth and fourth and sixth and seventh round wide receivers for the most part. And I think the reason being is this, it's really, really hard to evaluate quarterbacks, which then that makes it hard to evaluate wide receivers, especially in some of these spread systems that they run. And you know, who else is hard to evaluate the offensive linemen coming out of college Mm -hmm. football. And then it kind of gets harder to develop, to to look at the edge rushers and the cornerbacks too. Sometimes to figure out if they're going to work or not. But I think, um, what, so it's easier to look at interior defensive line. It's easier to look at some other positions, maybe cornerback, not so much. Maybe it is easier to actually look at, but I, I think personally, because of the tie to, um, the quarterbacks, wide receivers are even uh, difficult to evaluate. So why would you want to waste a high round draft pick on a guy that you know, may take some, take him a while to mature and, and ultimately be the receiver you want. And by that point in time, maybe you don't want to pay him what you want to pay him. So, uh, it seems like that seems to be a greater strategy for them is bringing a guy who's who's kind of already showcased his ability, what he can do. Demarius Thomas makes a lot of sense. He was a first-round draft pick. who was taken by Josh McDaniels back when he was head coach for the Denver Broncos. So he's going to be familiar with the scheme, and he's going to be familiar with the player. And then TJ Yeldon, you know, this is a typical guy, along with Austin Stefarian Jenkins, um, who, who has talent, has ability, maybe he hasn't showcased it up to the level that people thought, but that's what New England does. They bring guys in, they put them in positions where they can succeed, and then they get those guys to execute very, very consistently well, and then they just win Super Bowls with them. So uh, I would be shocked if Austin Stefarian Jenkins, um, you know, doesn't end up being part of this team and maybe replicating what he did a couple years ago when he caught 50 balls and um, three touchdowns for the New York Jets and, and maybe his best you know season of, of, of his career. I would be shocked if that didn't happen. Um, or, or T.J. Yeldon, then somehow be a part of this this running back group and, and add another element to it, because um, that's typically what New England does. And uh, again, they've got a ton of draft picks. We'll see what they do with it. Um, but I don't necessarily think they're going to be spending any high draft capital on wide receivers.
0: Mm, okay, yeah, they haven't. They've not been great about unearthing them uh, in, in in the draft. It's just tough to adjust to Tom Brady uh, right off the bat. Okay, so. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Again, we don't want. I don't want to. We talked about this at length, but I do think that um, I am. Curi- I'm curious. First of all, what, how do you think that Aaron Rodgers is going to fare in Matt Lafleur's offense? I know that there's been a lot of buzz previously that Aaron Rodgers doesn't like motion, um, doesn't like bunch formations, doesn't like all the doodads that go with it. And Matt Lafleur has explicitly said he's going to use more motion. He's going to use more bunch formations, um, and that Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers said Matt LaFleur is the boss. How, how do you see that relationship unfolding in, in Rodgers' uh, uh, like operational or functional operationality? Is that a thing? Function, op, operational no, functionality? Definitely
1: not. You that Oper- up. Operational
0: yeah. functionality. That is a real thing. inside. How do you think that will work inside the offense?
1: There's going to be some friction. Uh, look, there's going to be a blend of what Aaron likes to do within Matt's offense and what he doesn't like to do. That, that's any offense. That's any play caller. Um, I think the thing where Aaron may be more open to them using more bunches, stacks, motion, things like that, is he might be more open to it because outside of Devontae Adams, I don't know how many guys in the roster can ultimately separate and get open on their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he came very forthcoming recently about some of the injuries he dealt with and played with last season. Uh, and, And maybe that'll change his tune because sometimes those injuries come when you hang on to the football, and when you have to hang on to the football, it's because guys can't separate and get open. And so if you have an offensive mind who can help you with formations, with the bunches and stacks in motion to help get guys open, you're probably better off doing that, especially with their current roster and looking at guys like Jamon Moore, Valdez, uh, Scantling, and Aquinovus, and, and, um, St. Brown, um, the, the guys outside of what they have in Devontae Adams. And granted, don't get me wrong, they've got good tight ends, they've got Jimmy Graham still, um, they're running backs like Aaron Jones, he can catch on the backfield too. Um, but still, they tend to be more of an eleven personnel team, uh, and then really isolate those guys and see who can get open. I really only see one or two guys who can do that on a consistent basis, and, and Graham and, and Adams. So I think he needs to be more open to it. I think he probably will. Um, and 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 why not? There's nothing wrong with that. So. But there'll be some friction between these two. I think there always is. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how Matt LaFleur handles it because at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers is the pain man. He's won a Super Bowl. I think we all realize how good he is. And it's more Matt LaFleur who's trying to prove himself. And, uh, you know, how he handles that relationship will probably go a long way in, in how far this team can go. Uh, because I just think the dynamic in general for Matt LaFleur in his first year being a head coach, it's not only how you handle Aaron Rodgers as your most important task, just managing your players. It's also how you manage your coaching staff. I mean, this structure is probably going to look similar to what Sean McVay is doing, given the roots for LaFleur working under McVay, but also because of Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin was a former head coach. I think you can rely on him to take care of the defense and that personnel and then allow yourself to focus on offense, especially during the course of the game when you're making those in-game adjustments. So um, you know, it's not all about Aaron Rodgers, but a heavy portion of it is. And I don't think it's going to be the smoothest road, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing either. I think there's sometimes some, some good constructive conflict that you can enter into with a head coach and a play call when you're a quarterback and sometimes come out on, on the other end where things work out better than, than maybe they were going into it.
0: Uh, i curious, what do you think about I mean, again, I don't want to rehash the whole Mike McCarthy thing, but Rogers was asked about it again uh, on, yeah. on Wednesday and, he, and, and was asked by reporters specifically if he had spoken with Mike McCarthy after the, the Bleacher Report article from Ty Dunn was published. Uh, Rogers said, I'm not going to answer that. And then added, I stand by everything I said. He called it a smear attack uh, and, and ripped on Ty Dunn um, and said, I've heard from 100 plus former teammates and coaches and current teammates and coaches. And that's fun, especially some of the guys you haven't heard from in a while, checking in and encouraging you. What were your thoughts? What, what, are, you, what are your general thoughts on the uh, on the whole thing here?
1: Look, I'll be very open and honest. I reached out to him, too, and kind of told him I "I thought it was BS. Uh, I know Aaron a little bit, and um, I think – look, I I don't know the writer, and I'm not going to try to disparage him. I just think when you look at the way the article was constructed, if you actually just extrapolate Greg Jennings' comments, Michael Finley's comments, they tend to be angled. They tend to have um, a a direction where they are trying to do something from this right and Greg Jennings is trans- transitioning his career where you know people probably want to hear what he has to say about Aaron Rodgers and they, they know they're not going to be the nicest things because of how their breakup and relationship was and, and look I'd be frustrated too if I was Greg Jennings and I'd, and I'd probably if I was him look back on my career and wonder I wonder if I maybe should have just uh, bit my tongue and made things work with Green Bay because at the end of the day was Greg Jennings a better wide receiver in Minnesota than he was in Green Bay Yeah. no yeah. It, Oh, it, yeah, sorry in Green it, Bay yeah he's kind. better
0: in Green Bay than Minnesota right 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 right, right. of course
1: Right. And so because of that, I think there might be a little bit of bitterness too that he doesn't want to necessarily recognize um, that, that, yeah, he wasn't as good of a wide receiver without Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. So um, to me, it was angled. It was slanted. And I think the way the article was was constructed by, by Tyler Dunn, which was it was good enough to provide balance because you'd hear this negative from um, Jermichael Finley or you'd hear from Greg Jennings, but then you'd, hear, you'd see the balance of it with a, a former player like Ryan Grant, who obviously didn't have any issues with Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, my whole thing is, you know, when you're writing an article like that, it's all good and great this time of year because you need something to put out there. But at the end of the day, there wasn't one quote from Aaron Rodgers. There wasn't one quote from Mike McCarthy. Uh, all you had was some other unnamed sources, too, who were trying to bash him. And and that just it seems convenient for a group uh, or a front office and organization that decided to move on from the guy, even though he was about as successful as any head coach they've had since, like, Curly Lambeau, and also brought them a Super Bowl. So uh, I just I thought the, the, you know, article – Even the timing of it when it came out right after Rob Demosky had uh, his piece on Mike McCarthy, I thought it was just kind of interesting how that all worked out. Mm. Uh, And and I kind of just – I saw it with the players in this regard. I think it was uh, angled. It was kind of a a smear campaign, and it was um, for people trying to make a name for themselves, whether it's Tyler Dunn or Greg Jennings or Jermichael Finley because there seemed like there was more motivation behind the article and those guys' negative comments. Than uh, really the point of the article itself. I'm not sure what it was. Whether Aaron Rodgers didn't respect Mike McCarthy or not, the only two people who ultimately know that are, are those two guys, and neither the wh- neither of them was quoted in the article. And I think that just tells you enough in itself of of what pe- people think of Tyler Dunn. Mm-hmm.
0: It bothers me that every time there's an article, this is Aaron Rodgers, that it's the same two people. At what point do you move on? You talk about me being sensitive and petty. At what point do you move on or stop telling the same stories? I think there's a little bit of truth to that, too. It's like... We get it, Greg Jennings. You don't like the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and the way that things ended. Um, and you're willing to torch him publicly with your name on. I respect, I respect, he's at least putting his name on it and going out there and doing it, right? I mean, he's right. not, he's not doing it, he's not doing it side handed. But, but
1: isn't is isn't that also his position within being a, uh, an analyst or a broadcaster now? Sure. I mean, yeah. he, he has to put his name on it. That's his job. And so he understands that portion of it. But I, I also think there's to some degree, uh, with what Aaron's saying is, and what you're saying is, he's a one trick pony right now, you know, outside of that, what else, you know, really can you bring to the table? Um, and and so that can only take you so far in your career. And and that's where I'll be curious to kind of see where he goes from here and what happens from this, or if he'll just kind of be another guy who's got that one gripe with a player that he's, he's trying to live off of. I, I don't think that'll take you very far. And, uh, and that, again, that's why I kind of, I side more with Aaron in this regard because throughout the entire process, you know, you didn't hear him make these sorts of comments or leak stuff out about Mike McCarthy. Um, and, and he was, he was defensive of, of Mike to some degree too. And I think for people saying like, just cause he doesn't want to answer whether or not they've talked um, you know, bottom line is he's a private person. You know, he doesn't talk about a lot of the things that go on in his personal life that other people have been willing to air um, or, or leak out into the media, whether it's with his family or dating life or whatever else is going on. So um, I just, I tend to be more on the side of Aaron, uh, for a number of reasons, but also just for the, uh, the way in which he's kind of handled a lot of the BS that's been on the outside and really hasn't given much time of day or energy to it. And I, and I think that's a good thing for the Packers moving forward because that's what they are doing. They're all moving forward and that's all that matters now.
0: If you had to pick one person to go with, a, go to a hockey game with, would you go with Aaron Rodgers or Ricky Fowler? Uh, <laughs> that, that answer to that question might get me in trouble.
1: Uh If it's just the guys, for sure, A-Rod. Um, if, uh, if if there's other people <laughs> attending, if Justin Thomas <laughs> is coming
0: along, or
1: anyone else who may have been around, uh, then maybe it's a little bit different story then.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I do know what you mean. How, how
1: about this? Full disclosure, my wife's going to kill me for this, but um, I, I, I had made some comment a reference to Cal, because um, obviously his fiancée um, is what was like most famous for being like the pole vaulter at Cal or whatever it was. Initially. Yeah, back I remember was... this from like a long time ago. Yeah. It, it, every guy remembers it. Yeah. And as soon as I had posed some question or said something, oh uh, then obviously the question came up later on was, well, how do you know she went to Cal? And I kind of looked at my buddy, my two other buddies with me and they were like, everyone knows she went to Cal. And that was kind <laughs> of the end of that
0: conversation. <laughs> oh my God. So you were like, sorry, like you loved a uh, pole vaulting at Cal, right? She's like, yeah, but you can kind of get away with it because you have a a wife who's a former Olympic gymnast. You can be like, I'm just, you know, I really st- I like to study the uh, the the fine arts of track and field and, and gymnastics, and really, you know, learn about the roots and the, the history of the game. Oh, dude!
1: I mean, I'll be I'll be, I'll be honest. Look, my favorite event in all the Olympics uh, outside of women's gymnastics, especially when when Alicia was competing, was track track and field. Like, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. I think it, it's fun to watch that and everything else. Uh, now that had no, nothing to do with, with me knowing where,
0: I'm aware, where right. she
1: had gone to a college, but yeah, no, I, that, yeah. Do you I, know- by the way, I wouldn't phrase, uh, it, it, it the, the exact same way that you did in regards to her, her previous time as an athlete. I something about that didn't sound right.
0: Okay. Um, I'll work on that. I, I will say that, can you imagine, do you mean, I don't know if you remember, but the, the, uh, the hubbub surrounding, um, uh, Stokey's, uh, Appearance on the internet when she when she became famous the first time. Uh, if that happened in 2019, like the same sort of thing happened in 2019, it would be like on CNN and stuff like that. I mean, it was it was a pretty big deal back in the day.
1: You know, it's funny you say that because I remember being in Cleveland when it happened. So I don't know if it was my rookie year or second year. So like 07, 08, 09, something like that. And it yeah. was really before social media platforms became huge. Oh, yeah. And, and I actually think that if you became like an internet sensation, if you will – or viral, if you will, back then, I think it speaks more volumes to then some of the crap that goes on today. Because the people that typically go famous today, like by the end of the day, they're not even the, the story anymore. Or they are for a second that it's gone. Like that that that's more of lasting memories for you. And like I, I mean to this day, you can ask anyone and they could tell you where where she where she participated in track and field in college. I think again, um kudos to Ricky
0: Fowler. Uh, yeah, and look, I mean, like, that 2007 Washington Post article, teen test internet's lewd track record. I mean, this is like, if this happens in 2019, it is a, a monster story that like, the, the whole internet blows up. Anyway, we're getting way off track, uh, once again, which is my specialty. I don't know if you knew that. Jack Del Rio, is that Jack Del Rio, uh, had a lot of stuff to say about the Raiders. And, uh, did he have something to say about Russell Wilson? He did like this long interview. In fact, oddly enough, with uh, it appears with a former um, Division One gymnast, Brooke Sarassimo, who I clicked on her Twitter account, she's listed as uh, NFL media former D1 gymnast. So, you know, there you go. It all ties it together. Um, I don't know if you know or not. I don't know how tight that gymnast crew is. I assume it's fairly close-knit. Um, but uh, Jack Del Rio, he, he said, first of all, that uh, I love the talent, but Antonio Brown has clearly shown that he's going to be a pain in the ass. You know what? I agree with old. I agree with old Jack on this one. I don't think Jack's wrong. Find the lie.
1: No, uh, I don't necessarily know that he's wrong in that regard. I think even after getting traded and signing the new deal and looking clean cut and like he wasn't going to be any issues for the Raiders moving forward, um, now that he's in his new destination and he's got his new contract, uh, you thought it would have ended there, but it didn't. He uh, he went to try to fight, figure out a way of drawing up. Some more discussion via social media with Judas Mischusser, and I think that just led me to think, you know, this guy for whatever reason he's going to be catty. He's going to, you know, continue to monitor stuff that, to be quite honest with you, has really no impact on him. I'm not sure why he's looking at was it the Pittsburgh Steelers um, social media page where they announced that Judas Mischusser was the team MVP for 2018? Like, I'm more surprised that Ben Roethlisberger didn't take a shot at Judas schuster on his weekly radio show, at least until that ends. Or there wasn't some some of the comment made that was Antonio Brown coming back out of um, the, the, the woodwork to make a comment so yeah he, he's that in that regard he also talked about being surprised uh, if Russell Wilson's not traded before this season starts from the Seattle Seahawks which kind of came out of nowhere caught me off guard I'm not sure you know who's who's actually going to make that trade maybe look maybe it's maybe it is the Oakland Raiders right maybe maybe it's John Gruden. Trading for Russell Wilson and, and giving them all those three, what first round picks they've got this year. Um, maybe that's how they're making that trade happen. I, I have no idea. I just, I kind of find it odd, um, that he would say that. I try to figure out what the connection is, um, because I, I don't remember him being overly close with Pete Carroll or John Schneider outside of the fact that Jack Del Rio is a USC alum. Yeah. That's uh, all. That's Pete all I... coach there.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, you know, maybe, maybe he talked to another team who had talked to the Seahawks about the contract situation. With Wilson and, and discussed the potential trade. So maybe he, he kind of talked to someone from the other side of it. I just, there's, there's no way if you're John Schneider and Pete Carroll, and especially as that window is closing for probably Pete Carroll as a head coach, I just, I don't think you're any closer to winning a Super Bowl, trading away to Russell Wilson, than building on what you did last year with that young defense and then having a guy like Russell Wilson who's been, you know, a winning quarterback every single year he started. He's led the league in touchdown passes before, he's gotten better. And he's done that all about while playing behind a crappy offensive line. So um, it doesn't make any sense to me why Jack Del Rio would say that. uh, But it'll be interesting to see if if it does indeed play out.
0: Yeah, I think the one one logical – it's not logical. I can just – I can – I can think of the logic behind the move is that the Seahawks say, all right, we found Russell Wilson in the third round. We won a title by drafting a quarterback and, you know, by building up or using our draft equity on and our free agency equity on defensive players like Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, who they got on cheap deals and later resigned. So maybe you think we can take the team we have now, uh, invest in other positions, draft a quarterback late, plug him in this, uh, you know, run heavy system and it'll be fine. I disagree with the logic. I just, that's the only Possible scenario you can see. I, I do, however, Brady, think that Russell Wilson is going to want the biggest contract in NFL history for a quarterback above yeah. Aaron Rodgers, and the Seahawks won't want to give it to him, and that's going to be sort of the inflection point as we head towards a new CBA.
1: See, I, I don't see it the same way. I, I think they'd be glad to, you know, work out that deal for his services. um I, I just, I think what they don't want to be is the team that goes into a fourth year of guarantees, which we haven't seen yet in mm. a player's contract. Um typically we see in three, four years guarantee we saw with Kirk Cousins. Um uh, we saw with the extension for Aaron Rodgers and how accelerated they made those payments. I think that's what they don't want to do. They don't want to be the team that sets the precedent now for quarterbacks moving forward where they're gonna be getting four years of guarantees. Um I think we're gonna see a number that's thirty four to thirty six average annual salary. I think you're gonna see a total guarantee around one hundred and twenty million. Um those to me, I I know they come with sticker shock now, but as as this um, salary cap has continued to increase over the course of the next few years, uh, it's, it's not going to be that heavy a percentage of the cap. And in fact, someone threw out the idea of well, what happens if they tie this compensation to a percentage of the salary cap moving forward. Yep. The only issue with that is, is as the salary cap continues to go higher and higher and higher, um, de- depending on if you make that a static number, obviously that number becomes less and less and less. It has to be an escalating number, um, that would that would go up with it with time, right? Because it ended up being, a you know, depending on how you end up structuring it, right? You could get yourself into some trouble there doing it that way. Uh, and most contracts escalate anyways with the anticipation of um, the salary cap moving, uh, moving up. So that's usually built in. You don't have to tie it into a specific percentage um, because you don't necessarily know if the salary cap's going to go up or what happens when you go into an uncapped year. Then you have to kind of set separate language there for that because that could very well happen with. Um, you know, a a potential work stoppage coming up. So it 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 gets convoluted. It gets a little bit uh, confusing. And that's where I I think they'll figure out a way of getting it done. They got it done using this temporary timeline before with the $87.5 million deal. Um, And and I just, I don't see any other way of how they move forward with being successful. I I think if they don't realize how lucky they got with who they got in the third round um, and, and then they're allowing their ego to get in the way because I, you know, it's kind of like the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. When you read that book and you talk about all the people who have been able to accomplish great things as human beings, they, they all acknowledge at some point in time they're lucky. They're either born at a point in time where the technology allowed them to become Bill Gates or Paul Allen or whoever else, um, or they had certain things work their way that allowed them that opportunity where they were able to flourish. So um, I think they were obviously extremely lucky to end up with Russell Wilson, and it's set them on a course now that allows them to still potentially play for some Super Bowls, I think, in the next three or four years, if they do indeed extend them.
0: Yeah, and I, I, to me, you definitely extend them. But by the way, I mean, look at you. You drop in Aaron Rodgers, Ricky Fowler, sneaking in the fact that you read Outliers. It's a good little checklist podcast for you. Uh, all right, let's do something stupid, and then we'll get out of here. Since we're, we're open with the Masters, we'll close with the Masters. Have you, by chance, seen Patrick Reed's Masters Champions Dinner menu?
1: No, what did he end up going with? I mean, some of these guys do some – it doesn't look overly appetizing for me. What what did he go with?
0: This is Mr. Patrick Reed um, went with what is basically –
1: Is he not very well-liked on the tour? Is that what I'm hearing?
0: Yeah, he's not very well-liked. And it's – I mean, this is just a – so his his opener, you get a choice of – actually, I'm just going to start at the top. He's going with a prime bone-in cowboy ribeye topped with herb butter, Fish available upon request, mountain trout. Uh, his sides are, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. His sides are macaroni and cheese, corn cream brulee, cream spinach, and steamed broccoli. And then you have a choice of Caesar salad or a wedge salad. This is like the, like, you like, this is like Ruth Chris special. We're gonna cream everything and make you eat it.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's trying to kill off some of his uh, competitors <laughs> that's what there. I, that's what I'm, I'm wondering with this with this new diet for Kepka, what what, what are he, what's he going to eat moving forward? He's either going to splurge and put on back on a bunch of weight, or he's just going to be eating a bunch of that steamed broccoli well, and, and maybe a salad.
0: The, is, I don't think um, Kepka doesn't have a uh, doesn't have a Masters right. He just has a U.S. Open and, and uh, he has two U.S. Opens and one PGA. So oh, that's I, right. Because yeah, I think right. it's only the, right. yeah, cause I think it's only the Champions <laughs> it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that's right. So yeah, maybe he's just trying to kill off other guys so they don't have a chance to repeat. But I mean, look, I, I, that, that meal sounds great to me. I don't know what we're having for dinner tonight, but I may have to talk to the wife about changing up some things as far as what we're going to be eating.
0: What would you What would you do if you were having your Masters champion dinner? So you got to do like you kind of got to. I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but you got to you got to you got to serve something that's going to be kind of popular with everybody. Can't be yeah. out of control. And um, But it also has to be delicious and represent you as a person.
1: Right. So I'm a huge fan of Italian food. Mm. And uh, this is in no way indicative of uh, my palate or ability to, to really understand, like, cuisine in any way. But I love testing out the chicken parm no matter what Italian restaurant we go to. If they got it, I'm testing it out. Hmm. That's how I'm judging you and your ability to make Italian food. Um, so I would have chicken parm. And I would obviously have the vegetarian option. You can go with the uh, eggplant if you want, right? Uh, And I would even actually have another option. I have have the ability to get veal. If you want some veal parmesan, you can go with that as well. Uh, Pick your different spaghetti, right? You you can have a variation of spaghetti, if you will, with that. Uh, But but the main course of the dish kind of stays intact. Uh, Salads, I would have a number of options. You got your normal Caesar if you want. Uh, Maybe we'll do some other sort of mixed green salad. And then we're going to have your typical burrata and, uh, and, 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 heirloom tomato salad as well as an option. Um, let's see for dessert. That's a tough one for me because I, I love milkshakes. So I'd probably switch it up and, uh, and have them use graters ice cream and then have like a milkshake, um, Ooh. station where you could potentially have a milkshake or a malt. If you don't know what a malt is, you just add a malt to milkshake. Malt powders its own deal. But anyway, uh, that would be the direction that, that I think I would go. Um, uh, and that would be kind of, uh, kind of indicative of, of, what I like and who I am.
0: I like that. That's a good, that's a good choice. Um, I, I Oh, by the way, you yes. have to have a few bottles of wine.
1: You, you, you <laughs> couldn't go without having, you know, some variations of wine or bridles of wine. There.
0: Some insanely high end bottles. I mean, I assume if you're the, it's the cha- like, oh, you don't, yeah. you don't pay for it. The club pays for it. And plus, like, you gotta figure, how friggin' good would that Masters chicken parm be? Like they're gonna bring like, like oh my god! I mean it's gonna be incredible. There used to be this restaurant in Raleigh called Brothers Pizza that did this Hillsborough Street yeah. special, and it was um I think it was eggplant and veal parmesan together. So like two slices of eggplant and one thing of Ooh. veal. Oh my god, so good! I wish it was still around. I'd eat it all the time. Um, I would do uh I might do something a little bit lighter. I would probably do uh I think I'd do like some seared tuna. I, I love I just love, I love a good seared tuna and uh maybe some. <laughs> Is that is that weird? Is that weird? I love I love seared.
1: <laughs> I mean, you're weird, but yeah. That, 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 look, if it's supposed to be uh, a, a telling of who you are, then this fits perfectly. Please proceed.
0: I know. I I really like I, I like I like it. I love a good Pittsburgh rare seared piece of awesome tuna. So I would go with that, um, and uh, maybe I do some like wasabi mashed potatoes. Mm, what do you think about that? wasabi mashed potatoes. I, um, I'm not a big
1: wasabi fan. I think it's the most overrated thing that that comes on, you know, comes with sushi and everything else. I've never liked it. I don't know why people like it. Every time they put it in some of their food or that's wasabi, something, I'm just like, get it out of here. You're lazy. You just, you wanted to use wasabi in some other way. So I I I hate it.
0: Okay. I don't use it on sushi a lot. I used to use it more. I like, I got to be honest. Like, I, 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 I love a good steak. My my problem is that my wife eats is just eats too much steak and I just I'm just staked out at this point. So maybe I would even do a salmon. You're gonna get
1: gout, aren't you? That's your worry. You're gonna get gout. You're gonna have too much steak, too much red wine, you're gonna my, have gout. My you're da- gonna be able to move.
0: No, my dad and brother both have both have gout. There you go. Yeah, I'm not getting gout. It's I, coming for you. No, nah, I exercise. You, I don't buddy. I don't eat steak. We would have a lot of red wine though. Uh, all right. That's uh that I didn't give you a good list, but I liked your list so much that I'm just gonna keep moving. Um Good show. Great show. Excited for the Masters. They're happening right now. Make sure you follow Brady on Twitter at 3RD underscore goal. Make sure you watch him on CBS Sports HQ. You're doing a bunch of stuff with your foundation, too. You want to promote your foundation or anything?
1: Yeah, actually, we've got a really cool event coming up. Uh, We're announcing another partnership. So my foundation, the Third Goal Foundation, uh, helps make homes handicap accessible for wounded veterans, but we also put on educational platforms for active – uh, service uh, members, men and women. So when they come back from um, their time in service, when they're looking at transitioning out and uh, continuing the education, starting it or, or even finishing it, um, we help put on um, these two-week intensive courses program at Notre Dame. We're doing. We're expanding to another college coming up here soon that we're excited to announce um, for one of our big uh, fundraising events. we This is actually pretty cool. We're having what's called a suitcase party May third in Columbus, Ohio at the uh, MPW hangar there at the uh, John Glenn International Airport. And what it is is you pack your suitcase, all right? Everyone comes to the hangar. hangar. It's kind of set to be more of a date night. We're going to have some some food, hors d'oeuvres, some alcohol. There will be a band. And we're going to tell you about the partnership. But then we're going to raffle off a private plane uh, to a destination for the weekend for you and one other. And uh, you'll be there until Sunday, and you'll fly back privately. Um, and so that's why you're packing your suitcase because you may just get whisked away off to uh, to to whatever destination uh, we're sending you. Wow,
0: out. that's cool stuff, man! You're doing good work out there. Not just a great podcast, uh, not just a great media member, great human being as well. Check out Brady. <laughs> I appreciate it, buddy. You Thank are you. Uh, all right. We'll uh, we'll we'll chat next week. Thanks as always for coming on, Brady.
1: All right, I'll see you.